from Fox 8 Sports. You're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. From Fox 8 Studios in New Orleans, welcome into Overtime, the podcast for all things sports, all things Louisiana, and everything in between. Alongside Sean Fazan mm. with John Bennett producing. And you know that's right. Possibly Juan Kincaid. I'm Chris Hagan. And today we are talking triple coverage. You know the drill. Saints, college football prep. We're gonna get up, we're gonna get to all of it, but first a quick request and reminder to subscribe to this podcast channel. Please rate and review it and tell your friends. We know you got friends. And if you want to get in touch with us, mm-hmm. use the Final Play app or Tiger Huddle app to submit a question. I did all that without a script. What? Now let's get to it. Sean Fazan, Saints and Adlib. That's right. Saints and Cardinals this weekend. Mm-hmm. And it's not one you had circled, but... There's a lot going on this week. There are a lot of storylines, a lot to look at, mainly injuries. We're, we're looking out for the return of Drew Brees, mm-hmm. the return of Alvin Kamara, mm-hmm. what's up with Jared Cook. Uh, there, ha- there have been clues dropped right. on us. Right, context clues, like Drew Brees is going to speak in the locker room this week. Mm-hmm. For the first time since his injury. JT Barrett was... Released off practice squad, which means those practice reps have to go to someone. So, must it be Drew Brees? I think it will. And then uh, Zach Zinner was released today, the running back, which is probably a very, very good sign that Alvin Kamara will be ready to go. I would say so. I think those are all things that, that point in the right direction. Again, the Brees situation I could see being closely monitored throughout mm-hmm. the week. Um you know he's gonna he's gonna want that week of practice to see how good he is, see his capabilities. Um, obviously, the team's gonna want to see that as well before making a decision. I could see a week where Peyton, you know, slow plays it and says I'm not gonna speculate and and this yeah, and that leading dis- up to the game. Don't discount that element of it either, because he slow played us with Taysom and Teddy back in week three in Seattle. Um, I've been asked a bunch, do I think he plays? And Though I'm not overly confident in saying yes, I'm leaning. If it was 50-50, I'm saying like 52% yes, 48 no. That's It's close. But I'm thinking he's going to play. That's just my best guess at this point. Yeah, the thing with me is the locker room um, availability. And, like, that's right. that's insignificant to a lot of people, I'm it sure. Really, like, yeah, but you just don't understand how significant yeah, it is to us. You, you think – it's just, oh, he's just talking in the locker room. But the fact that he hasn't mm-hmm. and the availability to Breeze has been limited to radio interviews and a sit-down interview each week, like, it, it's been sparse. Um, local media and, and, you know, vast media seeing Drew Breeze and getting the chance to ask him questions. So you would assume that if Breeze is going to speak to all the media and the Saints are going to put him out there, it's not just to sit there and deflect questions about, I'm not playing. Um I mean, that would be really crafty of the Saints to just make you think. But I would think that they're going to put him there because he's preparing to make his return, and that's his game week routine. Yeah, and Bridgewater is talking too. We need to remind folks of that. So there's the element of Breeze is talking, yes, but don't forget Teddy's talking too. Um, but Breeze is pretty genuine. I mean, he doesn't. It's not like he reveals game plan information with us. So I just find it hard to believe that he would just straight up lie to us for a round of Q and A, which is going to be pretty not going to be intense. But we're going to ask him questions. We're going to ask him pretty good questions as far as his availability. Um, so uh, 
that's to me that was the first key and then the release of JT Barrett today that was another key uh, that leads me to believe uh, it's more probable than not that he will play. And if he does play, let's get into that. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it's no disrespect to the Cardinals that this is a week I feel like we're going to talk more about the Saints mm -hmm. than the matchup. It's just the fact that the Saints have so many guys coming off of injury or there's so many things you're keeping an eye on that that's going to be the main talking point. But as Sean Fazan is getting into, the matchup matters. Matchup matters. And here's where, here's why I've always been in the camp of when he's ready, go with him. Because there's going to be inevitable rust, especially a creature of routine like, like Drew. That's so, you know, routine-oriented, a rhythm-type passer, um, chemistry kind of guy. Inevitably, rust is coming. Is it better to get in and knock that rust off as quickly as possible if he is 100% healthy as opposed to waiting two more weeks? Again, if he's 100% healthy, I say yes. If there's doubt about his health, I say no. Because the the timeline of, hey, the bye weeks, let's just wait. I don't, in that scenario, I don't know um, that it would be the most beneficial for a guy like specifically like Breeze. This is not like a coming back from a hamstring pull for a wide receiver. I mean, for a guy like Breeze that needs to get on the same page quickly and retrench. I mean, the Saints offense is Drew Breeze. Yeah. So as much as he you know, kind of eats and breathes it, I, I think it's, I think it's imperative that he gets on the field as soon as possible if he is 100%. And I don't think it's just rust on Breeze end either. Everyone else, it's, exactly. It's the timing. It's like you could – if you put the tape side by side, like there's time in between when Michael Thomas comes out of his route and when Teddy's throwing the ball mm -hmm. and when that ball is there because Breeze knows that timing with Thomas. I think it gets there quicker. Teddy may throw a harder ball, but that ball is going to be there at a different time. And it's a number of things like that um, that – the offense is going to have to to readjust to because it's a good thing, but I think they've become very much in tune and in sync with Teddy Bridgewater and the way he's played, and that confidence has been evident growing each and every week. Even if on a week like Jacksonville it, he was a bit off and the offense wasn't all there, um, they bounced back against Chicago and they good, did good things running the ball, and, and Teddy made the throws he needed to as well. Yeah, and, and – you know, it's the natural progression of a five five week stretch. Um, eventually, you're gonna you're gonna get on the same page with who's ever uh, throwing you the football. Um, and I think we've seen some good games. We've saw one very good game in Tampa Bay. I think we've seen some average performances. But through it all, they've made enough plays offensively to win those games. Um, you know, I was asked is the readjustment back to Breeze. I don't think it's going to take as long as people think because, as I said before, this is, this is Drew Brees' offense. It's built through him. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it would take that long for everyone to kind of reset a little bit. Okay, now it's Drew. Let's recalibrate um, and let's, let's kind of adjust our, uh, you know, our, our mindset to, to you know, play as, uh, with Drew as our quarterback. It may take a couple drives. It may take a half. May take three quarters. May take a whole game. Who knows? But I think that'll that'll happen rather quickly. And I'm just waiting for, <laughs> I'm waiting for the first incomplete pass or interception or something where, if he plays, oh, I don't know if he was ready yet. I don't know if he was ready yeah. yet from the uh, from the fan base that uh, we're gonna cry that uh, perhaps he wasn't ready to go. We've talked about it on this podcast before. This is far from a situation like a Carolina even where 
I would still say Carolina's identity and the face of that team is still Cam Newton, but they're obviously not going to rush him back. If they continue with the success, given what we saw from Cam, not just unhealthy Cam to start this year, but Cam, honestly, since the Super Bowl some weeks, uh, their Super Bowl I, I refer to in the 2015-16 season, I don't know if Cam's the same passer. It's just... It is what it is there. It's not that situation. It's not, I think Nick Foles gets his job back, but it, it, you could argue that mm-hmm. with Gardner Minshew. I don't think it's it's that either. Um, I think this is a definite situation, and I think 99.9% of people would agree with me that when Breeze comes back, it's his team, and once again, uh, he will be leading that offense. Yeah, and let's not misrepresent what we've seen over the last five weeks. Um, they've won. Uh, they've won ugly at times. They've won gritty at times. But two of those wins came with less than 14 points. Um, and I went back and checked because it had been a while to check Breeze's game against Houston. He was on point. 32 of 43, 370, two touchdowns. He had an interception as well. Led him back uh, on that last-minute last, last minute drive. Um, so, at point being, he was playing well. He got hurt. I'm not sure in those other two examples that the starter was playing particularly well. Particularly Cam Newton was just – from a health standpoint, it just seems to keep Off, dropping man. and dropping and it's dropping. All, if and it's we've not seen, the shoulder, it's the lower body. And if he's not a dynamic athlete, he, he really becomes an average player. Um, but in Breeze's case, I've always felt like um, he was st- still very much at the top of his game. And I think in Sean Payton's case, from a play-calling standpoint, he's more used to calling plays with Breeze as a quarterback, that style. And he's had to really adjust with Teddy and – does he want to go back to the breeze? I mean, th- there's all these factors at play, which yeah. is why I never felt like the breeze-Teddy dynamic was ever going to reach what Carolina or Jacksonville is doing. But I also think Teddy made himself a lot of money in this stretch. Yeah. Because I think he's getting a contract next year with someone. Yeah. Uh, he has certainly performed very well. Um, and looking at the quarterback play elsewhere in the league. Dude, he'd start for at least 10 teams And right the now. team that traded – Teddy to the Saints and Sam Darnold and what he's doing in New York right now. There are a lot of teams that would love to be able to call on a guy the like Teddy. The Look, Bears. I, I think he'd be perfect for that team. That that stadium, that style, that defense. I think he'd be perfect for that team. Sure would. Let's take uh, kind of what you were saying with the play calling and go to the next biggest injury, which would be Alvin Kamara. Mm-hmm. We saw this team in Granted, it was a, a great game plan from um, Sean Payton, and that's also been the theme of the last five weeks. But we saw a game plan that they were able to execute using the best of Latavius Murray's skill set and getting him going downhill um, against the Bears' defense that, as we talked about, wasn't the same without Akeem Hicks. But would you rush Kamara back if you don't have to? Now, again, we, we mentioned the clues. Zach Zinner, mm-hmm. let go. So it it seems like they're they're gonna have Kamara back, but again, do you have to rush him back because we just saw that Latavius Murray is more than capable of being the lead back? Yeah, and you're going against the 25th ranked rushing defense, the 29th ranked passing defense, the 28th ranked scoring defense. Mm. Point being, you should move the ball at will against this defense. Um, so is it absolutely necessary to have him back? I say no, but you know. Kamara has reached superstar status, and if he feels like he's ready to go and healthy and the coaches see it, uh, perhaps he's going to ready to go. I, I saw him tweet, uh, God is great the other day. Now, you can say 
He could just be, you know, having a Christian moment and wanted to tweet that out. But it certainly felt like that was a response to whatever he was dealing with medically. Um, and perhaps it was a relief that, that it's not worse than he thought. And maybe he's ready to go. Maybe he's been cleared. Whatever the case may be, when they released the guy they brought in to fill him in, uh, certainly it looks like uh, he's probably ready to go. But if you can't bring him up and you can't play him, Latavius Murray showed – with Latavius Murray, you have to – be committed to his style or mm -hmm. it's not going to work. Yeah. Which is volume carries, a lot of big, heavy personnel packages, and a lot of downhill falling forward type running. But that could be – that could I'm fine very with that. much work I'm fine against with the Cardinals. And that is a game plan of – that would also lend to letting Jared Cook rest. I don't – I'm not sure of his status and mm. if he would even be in question to come back this week. We'll see with injury reports. But – um yeah, that that's a very much a game plan of we're gonna like a less miles game plan, right? Like we're gonna run you over. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna be able to stop us, obviously. And by the third quarter, we're gonna take over. Our O line is gonna take over. Right. I mean, you'll have Bridgewater or Breeze in there, able to should be able to successfully throw the ball against the Cardinals as well. But um, I think a, a Murray game plan would get the job done too. On the other side of the ball, how much are you concerned about not just missing P.J. Williams, the second game of his suspension? but also Eli Apple, and depending on how severe his knee injury may be, because of the depth to the cornerbacks, not just because you need the guys healthy, regardless of who you're playing, but because it's the Cardinals mm -hmm. who love to throw the ball, who've got um, a very promising young receiver who, when healthy, has done some good things in Christian Kirk, and you've got one of the goats, Larry Ages Fitzgerald. Wonder. And you've got David Johnson that, that catches the ball in the backfield, though I don't know if he's going to play this week. Um I'm very concerned. Uh, I, you don't have enough quality bodies. You have King Crawley that you can make healthy or you can make active. Um, Patrick Robinson pulled his hamstring. Eli Apple certainly felt like when he was coming off that field that he, he's going to miss some time. You already got the P.J. Williams situation. I Look, I'm adding them up. Like one, two, three. That's like four guys, three guys missing, and you only have a few on your roster. I would definitely expect a signing this week uh, in the defensive backfield, especially and if they do, it's a clear sign that Eli Apple can't go. Yeah, and then you hate to see it because um, Eli's having a pretty darn good year, man. I Very mean, under, uh, there's a lot of players on that defense that have had underrated years. He's one of them. Him, AJ Klein. Um, I thought PJ was having a very underrated year, but yeah, I think he's played well. I mean, you look at look at the publicity Lattimore gets, and, and the fact that he's been able to take down a lot of number one receivers and take away one side of the field, um, with and without help. But the fact that because of that, it, because Mike uh, Mike Evans wasn't targeted a whole lot. Um, and there's been some other guys that have seen less targets, but you're going at Eli Apple then, and you haven't really been calling his name, not just for big plays, but he's cut back on some penalties. He that was a he was a big culprit in that department a year ago. Um, so he's certainly been having a good season. That's something else um, to keep an eye on. Uh, other things I'm looking at, as far as a I guess a matchup perspective, Michael Thomas and, and Patrick Peterson. I think that could be fun to watch. Peterson making his return. Yeah, because I, I still think Peterson is is one of the best. Yeah, and I think that's and I think size wise, he's one of the few that I don't think Michael Thomas can kind of bully physically because Thomas is so physical. He can catch the ball in space and he creates separation through his physicality. Because um, if you if you really watch him, he's not that fast. He's just a guy that knows how to run sharp routes and really uses his hands violently to. Uh, to get open, I think that's a great matchup. But that would, let's just say, Peterson is competent in shutting down uh, Thomas. A little bit of a tug of war. He doesn't. Neither one wins the battle. More of a kind of a, a back and forth. Mm -hmm. Well, then, 
somebody else has to has to emerge. Kamara's that guy. If he's healthy, then so be it. But who else in the receiver core if Jared Cook can't go or Traquan Smith? I mean, they were able to, to kind of mask that and disguise that last week uh, with some of the personnel groupings. But I'll be very curious because I know, uh, you know, the car, uh, the Bears had Fuller and they didn't double uh, Michael Thomas much. But I think Peterson is, is, is an even to another level uh, past Fuller that could potentially – Play one-on-one with Michael Thomas, plus you always have the idea or the, 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 the availability of doubling Michael Thomas as well. Yeah, and that, that was one thing I was interested in as far as who else could step up. Would the Saints be one of the teams getting in the running for any receivers on the market? Um, now, Emmanuel Sanders goes to the 49ers mm-hmm. for a third and fourth round pick. Uh, the 49ers also get a fifth round in there, I believe, from Denver. The price was probably a little too steep if I'm the Saints. What was the Emmanuel Sanders compensation? Uh, third and fourth. Because I know A.J. Green's been floated out there, and from what I understand, calls have been made for A.J. Green in terms of the Saints calling the Bengals. Um, but th- was it Sanu that got, got traded? Sanu went from Atlanta for a, two? for a two. Saints don't have a two. No, they don't have a two. And I'm not giving up a one for a midseason trade. No, no well, not for A.J. Green on the last year of his deal right. um, coming off ankle surgery. No. No. You know, I, I, our Tyler Eifert's name was floated out there. I have no idea if their discussions have heated up with him. I, I do know A.J. Green has been discussed, and there were calls made, but n- nothing close to a deal yet. I mean, the trading deadline is what, next week, the 29th? 29th. So I, I, I still think they're going to work the phones as much as they can because they saw what happened at the end of last year and how much that really kind of exposed them. Now, you would hope at that point Jared Cook emerges as the – the true number two receiving threat regardless of position. But if he does not, then that's a legitimate concern you have. For the yeah, Green would be the flashy name. It would be nice and obviously a guy that could come in and I feel like produce right away, even if he's just forcing safeties to stay deep and giving you that, that deep shot. Sanders was a guy I really would have been interested in for the mm-hmm. Saints because he's a uh, really solid slot receiver as well. and um, They could use that. I know you know they could <laughs> use that. Look, man, <laughs> the Saints are getting nothing from that right now. From that slot receiver. Like, absolutely nothing. Zero. And it's it's a part of the offense that as much as you get out of Thomas and his outstanding range and mm. as much as you get out of Kamara and as much as you were starting to get out of Cook, you could still use that slot, man. Like, look at the value that when the Rams are on, the fact that they have – Three great receivers because Cooper Cup's so good in the slot and Gerald Everett's kind of emerging as a yeah. playmaking tight end. That's the ar- that's the dream. That's the arsenal you want. Now something's off with that offense, but give that to Peyton and the slot makes them virtually undefendable on paper. Yeah. And think of how many easy completions are built into that slot receiver where there's a ton of space to run after catch. And you got a smaller, quicker guy that can catch it and go. That's why they were so enamored with Adam Humphreys this offseason. Paid to the price got too much. Couldn't pay that much for the a slot receiver. The price was too much for Cole Beasley. Right, Beasley as well. Uh, I know Golden Tate was on the radar as well, but the price went it was a little out of control. But still, look, man, we've said it in the preseason that Austin Carr was a Peyton favorite. I just I don't know what else he brings you at this point, other than he's not bad at blocking, and that's about it. He's and, a body. But I mean, like, I mean, he had two targets and he was open on both and couldn't come down with it. One, the route Deuce was telling me that the route was a little too far inside on the back shoulder. And the other one was maybe a little bit high for him because he's a smaller player, but 
I still think he should have came down with that catch. Yeah, and that that's the thing that you, that's what you're gonna remember about him is he's not that receiver that's gonna win that ball or make that catch that um, you stretch a little bit for and and um, you wish you could get that out of him. Last thing I want to bring up about this matchup, just it's interesting. You've got the you know the guy in that offensive mold in Cliff Kingsbury, the guy that the Cardinals brought in because you see mm-hmm. what McVay's doing and you see mm-hmm. what a guy like Kyle Shanahan's doing and you see Zach Taylor go to the Bengals and expect it to be um, McVay Jr. And the Cardinals bring in Cliff Kingsbury and he's going to go up against Sean Payton who is that offensive mind but is also showing he's an out- outstanding game planner. He's been show- showing that, but um, I think it was on full display last week when you've got the Another you know, one of these guys, Matt Nagy, mm-hmm. who can obviously do some creative things with his offense, as stale as the Bears look. It's crazy. Um, but he just got out game plan. So it's an interesting matchup between Peyton and what he finds to take advantage of with a Cardinals team that's obviously not as good personnel-wise, but still you would think he could scheme something up that would that could blow Cliff Kingsbury out of the water. Yeah. I, I still think this team's a little more dangerous than people want to admit. They've been hot lately. It's not just that. It's that they're a little bit like – I don't think they know who they are yet, and you're just kind of winging it. And sometimes that can be a little dangerous because, I mean, if you're winging it and you're kind of just freestyling it and, wow, we don't know what to prepare for, and all of a sudden it looks great. Sometimes it looks terrible like he did the first three weeks of the season. Kyler Murray has looked better. Um, I still think he's a rookie. He's going to make rookie mistakes. Um, but I, I this game was a lot easier in week two. Now that it's here – it's a little bit more difficult just because I'm just I'm not sure who the Cardinals are. I'm just not. And you know, th- this whole hire and swing with these young offensive minds, I think that lived and died this offseason because look, there's only few, very few Sean McVays that are in their 30s and they can truly uh do what he's he's doing. Now, I, I, you can argue that Kingsbury, well, I guess LaFleur has done pretty well uh over there in Green Bay, but I'll be very curious if the defensive names start popping up again because I think we're seeing a, a return of defensive football in the NFL. Look at some of these these um, stats almost halfway through the season. Well, the teams the teams that are at the top of the league, and you know, if you put any stock in power rankings, the teams that and I, I do a little bit, mm-hmm. the teams that I would power rank the highest are the Patriots, Saints, and 49ers, and mm-hmm. the common denominator is defense, tremendous defenses, pass rush. Um, great called blitzes, talented guys in the secondary that can make mm-hmm. interceptions. These are total package defenses, and, and looking at the Saints-Cardinals matchup, that's what I would, again, say is not only the trump card, but just the common denominator in what we've seen the last uh, few weeks on, on this winning streak is the fact that the Saints defensive line has been so good at creating pressure, and the defense as a whole has just operated as one from stopping the run to uh, forcing teams to be one-dimensional, to playing the pass well and getting pass rush and forcing turnovers. It's, it's been fun to watch. And maybe we could add one more thing to that, and that's it's been awesome. It's been great to watch. Um, the, the defense has got an edge. They're chippy. they got an edge. And, and I've argued this five-game winning streak is maybe maybe you're two and three or three and two had it not been for that, the consistency of this oh, defense. Oh, for sure. But you got to keep that edge. You do not exhale because Breeze is back. Even if, if it's not this week, even if it's in two weeks, keep the edge. Because if you keep that edge and the offense goes back to being prolific, then you're really talking about something special. And that's the thing. I mean, I, well, it was after the, the Cowboys game. 
I think I asked Demario Davis about it in the locker room. Just is there so, and is there something that uh, you guys say to each other because you know Breeze is out? And he said, "No, we expect to do this every week." Well, again, you got to keep doing it every week. Mm-hmm. I do believe that there's something there, and you don't you don't maybe vocalize it or say it out loud, but I think in the back of their head there is something that's like we have to do more, and I think that goes from defense to special teams. Mm-hmm. The offensive line has been unreal. Man. Everybody's been doing their job at a at such a higher level, and it it shows you what the team can do. And like you were saying, when Breeze comes back, this should not be a team that has to be on Breeze's right shoulder. No, and to be fair, they, you know, towards the end of last year, it was a group effort that that pushed them through to the finish line and almost Super Bowl. So they have experience with Breeze. Still having that edge. I, mean, I don't know what their numbers finished with last year. I know but by the end of the year last year, they were playing tremendous defense and tremendous special teams. Keep that edge, and hopefully uh, it, it's the same sort of outcome this season. Saints and Cardinals Sunday at noon. Should be a lot of fun. When we come back, we are talking LSU and Auburn. Tulane at Navy. We've got some work to do. We'll be right back. From Fox 8 Sports, you're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. Welcome back into the Fox 8 Overtime podcast. Big weekend for college football. The LSU Tigers playing host to Auburn. One loss, Auburn, and um, this is a game Mm. I would say you could easily sleep on. There's so much being talked about already Mm -hmm. with with Heisman hype, with Alabama and Tua Tagovailoa's injury and what that could mean for LSU that you overlook Auburn. I don't think they do, but the the risk is there. I think the concern is there. I kind of felt it too a little bit. Like, you still got a top 10 opponent coming here. Like, that can beat you. Make no mistake about it. With a true freshman quarterback going into Tiger Stadium, they have enough talent, enough athletes to beat you. So I I share that concern. It certainly feels like they're saying the right things out of, out, you know, out of uh, Baton Rouge. But, you know, if, if they do sneak up on them, shame on them. Because if you're not ready for a top 10 opponent, that's on you. If you're not ready for a top 10 opponent this time of the year, right. shame on you because you have so much riding on the outcome of this game. You cannot afford to even look one week past, two weeks past, mm-hmm. to Alabama, which comes after that, eventually after that. I mean, you have to stay focused on the game at hand because Auburn is in the same situation as you are right now. If they win this game, mm-hmm. they're all of a sudden the ones we're talking about mm-hmm. in the driver's seat to get to Atlanta for the SEC Championship game if they can get past Alabama in the Egg Bowl. So, I mean – they have as much to play Iron for. Bowl. I'm Iron sorry, Bowl. Iron Bowl. Yeah, Egg Bowl is Ole Miss. The, mistake. Egg Bowl, no one will be watching this year. <laughs> You're right. Um, but they have as much to lose as LSU has to lose in this game. And they, they was it nine? Is it nine point spread last time I saw? I mean, LSU. At, w- at one point, it was at double digits. It was at double digits. It's come down like nine now. But that's a lot of points for a top ten matchup. Um, and an Auburn team that I think is very, very good. I think the advantage LSU has, if their defense can exploit it, is they're going against a true freshman quarterback and Bo Nix, who, by the way, said yesterday, I played in bigger games before. I'm not going to be intimidated. Was that, was Paraphrasing. That, was that true? Did he really say that? Was that, was that yeah. uh, he said that? I believe Auburn. Yeah. Was, was that fake maybe? news? No, I don't think that was fake news. It was real? 
I think that was real. Okay. Yep. I but, mean, uh, he's played in bigger he, games. He's and probably going to regret those words, but uh, we'll see. Look, the line open to 12.5 right now. It is 11.5, <laughs> and I think that is – it's on par. It's, it's it's not the fourteen that they or the yeah, it's not the fourteen that they had against Florida. But um I think that's fair. I I think Auburn's another talented defense and that's why you see it being that close and not like a a fourteen or fifteen, but I think it's pretty accurate. Yeah. The key though, the O line's gotta pitch another shutout like they did against uh Florida. That was the best game of the season for them. They've gotta keep that going. Um, I will say, and we said it after Texas, Chris Hagan, and you saw it last week for the first time pop up. I'm surprised no other team has, has used this. The delayed blitz can be tricky. Yep. You can't identify it before, especially if you disguise it well. And sometimes the unblocked guy comes scot-free. You saw Mississippi State threw a few things at LSU. They threw him off in that first half. That was as... as uh, especially within the red zone. Yeah. Um, they were able to... They dropped three or... F- <coughs> or they dropped uh, four... They only rushed four, and they dropped more guys in coverage and then blitzed a, blitzed a couple more on that delayed blitz. And it did throw Burrow off. Um, they got to him a little bit, got him a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes it looks like LSU is a little bit more comfortable um, when they can take those deeper shots and they're not playing on such a condensed field. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a lesson learned for the offense. But, again, once they hit their stride, it was like, okay, Burrow's back, and he tosses four touchdowns. All of a sudden, the Mississippi State secondary just – they just got leaky. I mean, they were they were pl- playing pretty good man-to-man coverage for a while, and Their all of a sudden, guys were was, popping right open. You know, they score, and it's 9-7, and the next play is Racy McMath's 60-yard touchdown. Popped wide open. And it was it was lights out after that. Second-level Joe. So that's and, – and when you get into that type of game, um, that is when it becomes total advantage LSU. You become – we got to score. We got to throw the ball. You play into LSU strength if they're playing um, – well enough defensively and and letting their corners make pass breakups and interceptions and LSU gets the ball right back they can score again and all of a sudden they're running away with the game game's over but up until then Mississippi State's game plan and execution was pretty much on point you hold LSU to three field goals and you get a touchdown during which time they dominated the time of possession it was Mm -hmm. something like 17 to 12 minutes in the first half Um, and I could very much see if the circumstances fall in Auburn's Auburn's way, Gus Malzahn will not make the mistake that he did last time he played in Tiger Stadium. He had a 20-point lead with Jarrett Stidham, and they came out there and just kept throwing the ball. They threw the ball Mm -hmm. so much, and those incomplete uh, passes helped slow the game down um, just enough for LSU to get back in that game. Uh, They got a punt return from DJ Chark and turned things around and, and, and had a huge comeback against Auburn. Again, it's asking a lot, I think, to, to get such a lead on, especially this LSU team, but the game plan I think anyone would take against LSU is to dominate time of possession, take as many possessions away as you can from LSU by, by slowing the game down and, and hope for the best. Yeah, I mean, if you're an opposing defense, it's get, it, get the stops when you can, and then that offense has to complement <coughs> that stop with a nice long drive. Um to keep LSU's offense off the field because we know how quick LSU's offense can strike, which is this alternate universe we're living in right now where the Saints are winning with defense and LSU's winning <laughs> with explosive <laughs> offense. And it's just – it's crazy to say. Um, I think getting Terrence Marshall back is huge. Hopefully he's 100%, like really 100% because that trio ain't nobody guarding him. Like you're not nope. shutting him down all game. Um, 
and the way they run those routes and those patterns um, that highlight the between the hash 10 to 20 yard area of the field that's just what Joe Burrow does better than anybody in college football right now so while I think this can be a grind of a game I do think at some point if the offensive line holds up they'll break you know they'll break through at some point and probably I don't think cover but end up with victory I'll say two things one Florida showed how you can beat LSU they just didn't close the deal they kept the ball 40 minutes almost to LSU's 20. If Auburn can imitate, reproduce that, they'll win the game because I think their offense is better than Florida's. They just got to get a few more stops. A few more stops. Secondly, the most important thing to me in this game is what can LSU's front defensive line do? If they can't get any pressure on Bo Nix, they're not going to win the game. It It cannot be LSU having to manufacture pressure you know, sending extra guys. Mm-hmm. I don't mind you doing it every now and then, but they've got guys along that front four. By name, they should be able to get to the quarterback. We talk so much about these guys. Rashard Lawrence, Caleb Arnold. I thought he showed up for the first time last week. I thought that was one of his better he games. He did, but he's been what, a little bit injured. He's, I mean, he's, he's, he's been hampered but, pretty much his entire career. But LSU in the past has always had a team, for the most part, that had guys on that front four that could get to the quarterback, and they didn't have to rely so much on, on the blitz. Yeah. I feel like now, I don't know. And if they can't get pressure on, on Bo Nix and make, just give him a different look, get in his face, put some pressure in his face, make him uncomfortable, get him off his spot, it could be not a long day for LSU because they can score with anybody. Right. But it may so end up being a shootout. Definitely. So then it goes back to Auburn being able to hold on to the ball, time of possession, give LSU less and less number of, of opportunities with the ball in their hands. Auburn's a team, I think, that can do that. Um, so we'll see. But I, you're, talking, you're talking about the offense. I'm more concerned about LSU's defense being able to get some kind of pressure with four guys. I would argue that that is more important for Alabama if two is playing because he is a quarterback that I think could pick you apart a little bit if he's got time, if his receivers have time to work. Against a freshman, um, for reference, and if you watch Monday Night Football as much of it as you could watch, even if you only <laughs> stayed till the Star Wars trailer. Is Darnold still a <laughs> freshman? I would. <laughs> he looks like it. My God. I would. Gosh. I would send pressure. I would send pressure um, and make Bo Nix make quick decisions. And find the holes. Quicker decisions than he wants to. And have Stingley and Fulton um, – Man up there. Man up and be able to make plays back there. I think that that is a a strategy against a freshman quarterback that can rattle him early, get some hits on him early, get Grant Delpit in the box blitzing every now and then. I think you can create more havoc against Auburn that way um, than you would like we saw against Florida where those that first half they did only rush for and, and Kyle Trask was able to, to do a couple more things when he had time. I would never let Bo Nix get comfortable. And I – I don't think they can get pressure with four is what I'm saying. Like, I think yeah. you do have to blitz. I like what I've seen out of Lawrence last week. I, I, you know, they swear to us that Caleb on Chase is, is one of the highest-graded players on their defense. He's got to be a little bit more of a playmaker in the backfield. I, I agree with you in this regard. You can't play coverage like you did against Florida in that first half where it just felt like Trask had all day, and he was perfectly fine with first down. Those guys don't even 30 like – They don't play zone first down. Well. I mean, they are a – Get up in your face, man-to-man. And what I really liked last week was the emergence of both safeties. Delpit finally looked like Delpit, and Stevens finally looked like Stevens to me. Like, when you imagine this defense, you have to have those two chess pieces doing what they do because it makes – it's just – it unlocks the entire defense. So, hopefully, 
they've turned the corner defensively. We'll see. I, I mean, we've been wrong before, but I, I mean, I just look at the, the roster and I look at those athletes. I think they cannot. Yeah. It, at some point, it has to come together. And hopefully, that was the mark. It makes last you week. wonder why it hasn't come together when you look at the players in that roster. Yeah. I think it's about finding their identity, which goes along with what you guys are saying. Um, and you have the game against Utah State. You have the second half against Florida where they just give up seven. Um, and you've got Mississippi State where they played a pretty good game and forced turnovers. And like Sean mentioned, a couple guys started to look like themselves. I think that's a big step in finding your identity. This is the perfect time to do it, not only against Auburn, but just seeing more from this defense before you get to Alabama again if to a place because if not Alabama might not even be the best team in the state of Alabama <laughs> you know one thing we we really don't talk about that much because we're always focusing on the players and the opposite sides of the ball is the job that Dave Aranda has done this year has not been what I think was expected I think he's I don't want to say he, he's overpicked I think Dave Aranda is a fantastic coach but he's not he's not calling the game as defensive corner this year as well as he has in years past I, and I don't think that's really is it is it personnel is it I think he's overthinking it I, I think yeah. he's tr too much yeah. trial and error the first five games of the season he was just it's almost like he was just kind of rolling the ball out there and say okay well, let's try this right now let's try that right now just overthinking yeah. it and I wonder if that was put in I wonder if that was what we saw and what we were told and we just overlooked it because it's Dave Aranda right like he's got this mm -hmm. defense full of athletes and you can move Delpit here and Stevens here and Chase on here, and Chase Hahn can drop back in coverage, or he can rush, and, and like you've got all these different things you can do, but at the end of the day, let guys do what they do best, and you'll win. And it's part that. I think it's also part personnel. When you look at um, one of my favorite defenses he had was 2016, and you've got guys like Jamal Adams and Tredavious White, mm -hmm. um, and probably a couple others I'm, I'm forgetting, that um, are such good playmakers, and you, you forget about that and, you know, the ability those guys had to, to kind of boost Aranda's reputation. Like Juan said, these are all talented guys. These are guys, some of them that will be first-round draft picks. So you expect it to be better, but that's a good point, Sean. It's they almost like he needs to get out of the way a little bit and let them, let them do what they hey, do best. Hey, don't overthink this. Hey, let, you, got two, <coughs> you got two stud corners. Now, I, I'm a little worried about the nickel position. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I'm not. I just think Kerry Vinson has struggled. But you got two stud corners, and now your safeties are playing like the safeties you envisioned. I mean, every defensive coordinator in America wants that that combination. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, we got we got a lot of chess pieces here. We can invert our safeties, we can drop our safeties, we can play press man, we can we can. I mean, with with the ability to blanket receivers on the back end, you can blitz, and you can blitz from different angles. You got two freshman quarterback you're playing in, in a hostile environment. There's so much there. I don't understand the problem. Let, let, let's drop eight and. Let let the uh, you know a quarterback, an average quarterback, kind of find the holes in our zone. I just don't I just don't like that approach. No, either. Yeah, we'll see how that pans out for LSU again, taking on Auburn two thirty this weekend. Hey, uh, Chris, quick question: Is LSU worried about the kicking game? Or are they making too much of I this? I think they're making uh, too much out of that. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's the kids miss two field goals. Yeah. yeah, I think he's fine. And I, and I think he's hit from length. I think and I think by this narrative forming and it's the Baton Rouge media that's really kind of hopped on it. Well, you say that, but the same thing, same thing has happened with the Saints too. <laughs> Will Lust, like, give me a break. Well, they, but we squashed that real yeah, quick. It's but like, like, come on. I, I mean, I, I listened to some Baton Rouge stations. It's like, they've jumped on this. I'm like, y'all, you're going to cripple this kid if you don't, like, yeah. it, it is a fragile thing yeah. and he's, he's like, what it's is he, 10 of 12 right now? It's nitpicking. It really is. It's really nitpicking for a guy who's a freshman who's done a good job yeah. and um, he's having a rusty streak.
It it happens. Rusty. I wouldn't say bad. I, we've seen kickers go cold. I mean, been in New Orleans the last yeah. 13 Before years. Before Will Lutz, it was a... It I mean, was it was a, a turnstile. Yeah. I mean, we've seen kickers Musical go ice chairs. cold. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not buying that. I think Cade York is fine, and he's a guy that, again, you, you certainly don't want to cripple a guy who's going to have don't a really good college career. Add the, I mean, if he's missed four in a row, then so be it. But no, I wouldn't just throw this on him like this. Like, let him let him work through it, you know? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Green Wave a little bit. They go to Memphis, get beat by 30 last week. That's rude. Was Juan. that a slapping? That was a smacking. Oh, smack that is, that no. is smackdown. I'm sorry. What would you call it? It was a beatdown. Oh, right. It was. Yeah. yeah, it was. A, it was impressive. Surprising so, too, huh? Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, the, there was not the execution on offense. There was. Uh, they were out out athleted. I would say on yeah. defense. They looked out of sorts too. Um, but I've I've said it before. I I just don't say think, it again. I don't think McMillan's the guy. Ooh. In these big games, I don't. He's careless with the football. Some of those yeah. throws you absolutely can't make. And and he, he's missing wide open, easy even flat in shots too. Yeah. Even in games they've won, like the Army game, he still had a couple of costly turnovers that led to 14 points. Yeah, they're not good enough. He's not good enough to overcome turnovers on a regular no. basis. No, and and especially on the road like that, the absolutely criminal one was at the end of the second half, less than two minutes to go, and you turn it over right there inside your own 25. And that was that was the backbreaker because mm-hmm. you knew Memphis was going to score. They had too much time to sc- to score right there, and it buried them. The game was done, and yeah. you can't have that. Um, so they go on the road to Navy this week, five and two Tulane at five and one Navy. Navy's three and a half point favorites. Yeah. Um, this is a game where Tulane's got to get back on 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 course, especially if you want to talk about winning the AAC West. One loss, survivable. Um, you can come back from that in the conference. Two losses. Gets really, really tough there. Little reality check, I thought last week because Tulane got some national pub leading up to that game. There was talk about Will Hall, uh, Willie Fritz maybe getting another job, uh, uh, you know, a higher job. Uh, <coughs> Will Hall getting a head coaching opportunity. It were five and one. This was a national co- publication, and then they go and kind of, kind of wet the bed a little bit in, uh, in Memphis. So now you've been humbled. You've eaten that that slice of humble pie. Mm. Now you go to a team that's. Another service academy, capable of beating you. Um, I'm curious to see how they respond because, look, they've responded to adversity well in the Fritz era. I mean, they were, what, 2-5 and five at one point last mm-hmm. year before they made that run? So I'm curious to see how they respond, and I think they're going to do well this week in Annapolis. I would really hope that that chatter, because it's all it is about Willie Fritz and Will Hall and next possible jobs and this and that, I hope that's not what's infiltrated this locker room because that is just they're not you got to put a whole season together first. Oh yeah. And and they're not there yet. Like this was a game where you saw that Tulane is not there yet. Um I think talent-wise they're close and on paper they're close in the way they played. You could say that they are close. But there's something about playing in that moment mm-hmm. and on on national television and Memphis is They've done that a little bit more at this point, and it showed. It showed with, um, I guess you could say, their their steady hand. They weren't rattled by the moment, and they were ready for it, whereas Tulane just didn't appear to be uh, ready for the, the magnitude of it. Wasn't Memphis the game where they s- kind of saved their season last year? Yes. It was a rainy game. It was because a Friday night game. It was when you thought Tulane was – like because la- last year it was just hoping for a yeah. bowl game, and when they lost – and where they were at that time last year, it was like, 
there's no way they can do it now or mm-hmm. um, they're really going to have to, you know, beat some tough teams and Memphis isn't it. And then Justin McMillan had a big game against Memphis last year and Tulane blew him out at Uelman and Memphis remembered that. Oh, yeah. And put it on him. Are y'all still thinking eight wins for Tulane? That's a tough stri- finish there. <sighs> Who's left on the schedule? So Obviously SMU. They got there. UCF at one point. They have SMU. So the rest of the schedule is at Navy – Home against Tulsa, at Temple, home against UCF, mm-hmm. at SMU. I think they win two max games. Two more games so that's max. seven. Seven. I said seven before the season, and then once after week one, I said eight. And <laughs> I'm not so convinced they're going to win at Navy this weekend because those, those, those academies can be tricky. Uh, and, and Tulane, again, we've, we talked earlier this year about and the big question was how would Tulane be able to handle coming off a winning season, winning a bowl game, and even bigger expectations this year. And up until the up until last week, they handled them fl- handled, handled them flawlessly. But then you go into the biggest game of the year, where there's national television, nationally televised game. The publicity publicity is there. You're playing another 501 team on their field. Win this game, you become bowl eligible, and you remain front and center in the conversation of winning the whole uh, American Athletic Conference. And they lay a huge egg when. All, all the talk before that was positive talk about Tulane football. I'm not sure they recover so well from this Memphis game. I think it's losing by 30 points on the road, and it really didn't feel like it was even that close. Um, I just think it's going to be a hard one for them to recover from. I wondered how they would how they would bounce back after the season they had last year. They've done fantastic. But I, I wonder if this game is was just such a shot of reality for this team of where they really are as a football team that they don't recover as well as we'd like to see them do. I think they win one game, maybe two, but I think they end up with six wins this year. This this is the pivotal game for me. This is the turning point because Absolutely. I, I think if you win at Navy, mm-hmm. it shows me the mentality that this team has that they can bounce back from a bad loss. I think Tulsa's beatable, especially at home. Mm-hmm. I think Temple's beatable on the road. Mm-hmm. Tulane executes. UCF and uh, SMU, SMU are going to be very Ooh. tough. Especially like SMU. SMU's got that Buchel kid, right? Yes, He's Shane Buchel out the, of Texas. The Texas transfer, transfer yeah. And that's he was Ellinger before Ellinger. Yeah. <laughs> that's a team on the road that's going to be very difficult mm-hmm. to beat. Um, UCF at home, because I give them the, the edge in terms of playing in big games and being on the big stage and pressure, that's going to be a tough game at home because UCF's going to be playing for a lot too. But I do think they, they can beat Navy, they can beat Tolson, they can beat Temple. That could still give them eight wins. I still think that's possible. The thing about Navy, they played Army very well this year. And I think Tulane has enough speed on defense to handle the option well. What Willie Fritz mentioned today was uh, Navy is mixing in about 15 passes a game now, which doesn't sound like much. That's a lot for them. But that is a ton for them. That's probably about 10 more than they usually average in previous years. So they're doing some different things. Um, They have some different wrinkles for Tulane this year. But again, I I point to this one as if you lose this, then it tells me you didn't bounce back from Memphis because this should be a game that Tulane can win. A pivotal moment in the Willie Fritz era right here because he's he's gone through different different kind of periods, right? Four wins, five wins, six wins, bowl. Now it's a different kind of adversity because now you kind of, like I said, been smacked with a little humility. Um, di- how do you respond? Because you've always kind of been underdog mentality, chomping for your respect. Now you got the respect, and you and you kind of laid an egg when, right when you got it. You think so now Willie, let's restore credibility. You think Willie knows how his kids are going to respond? I feel like right now yeah. he, he's uncertain. He's curious, just like we are. I haven't talked to him. I mean, did, did you see him today? 
Willie? No, I watched the press conference okay. online. Yeah, I mean, the soundbite we ran earlier in the show, um, he basically said, you know, that we have to forget about this game. We can't dwell on games. We've got to move forward. And I'm, uh, he didn't say I'm curious to see how they how they respond, but that's what it felt like the, he was saying to me. That well, McMillan's got to respond too. I mean, yeah. he's he has embraced this leadership role. And he's got to put it on himself to play better and hold himself to the highest, you know, level of accountability. Yeah, that's the thing. And, and accountability, uh, not turning the ball over, running the offense, and understanding that you've got to take care of the football. And I think, and I don't, know, I don't know if especially I'm especially this game, here. you might not get the ball back. At that's the thing. The next quarter. This <laughs> is a that's that's what's huge for this. But um, the basic. The basis for quarterbacking should be take care of the football, and if the throw is not there, um, don't turn that ball over. Be Teddy. It, it's not like – Be Teddy. In, in a and sense, look, look how much Teddy. it's And look how much it's working. It can work when you play yeah. good defense. When you play good defense, and Tulane is explosive enough where if that play doesn't hit, well, guess what? You still got Corey Dauphine if he's healthy. You still Lighting got Amari Jones. You still got, got Darnell Mooney, Jalen McCleskey. If it's not there on second and three – Guess what? You still got third and three, and you can still make something happen. So they they've got to be smarter in that regard. Big big week for Tulane. I'm calling a victory. Well, I, I'm, I am I'm too. I'm calling a victory. I think they bounce back. I think I think we'll learn a little bit more about. We'll have more respect for Willie Fritz after this game. I, I think um, I think they lose this game because you have a quarterback who's never been in this position before. Sounds like a wings bet. Nope, it's not a wings oh, bet. Oh, he's <laughs> not that confident <laughs> then. No, not, not, you have a quarterback who's never been in this position before. This is the biggest game of his career at Tulane to me because they're on the edge of either the rest of the season just being a downer or, as you said, this is kind of the hump game for him. If he can win this game, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden things are back on the bright side for Tulane. They can take that momentum into the last few games. They're 5-2 right now? 5-2. Five five and and two. Two. So, what, five games left? Mm-hmm. I think they go 1-4. 1-4. And, and, and they make a bowl game again. Dang. And it's a I'm staying at seven. I'm going eight. I hope I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm staying at seven. Because I said man. I said seven on overtime. Does <laughs> the show <laughs> before the season. Would you say and I'm trying to get him I'm trying to get all my podcast witnesses here. <laughs> eight wins wings? Yes. Eight wins wings. Right, I gonna, will take that bet. Yeah, we're gonna Anybody have to, else want so in on it's that? either eight wins or if he doesn't get eight if wins, I win. You, you get the you get the bet. Yeah. You get the wings. You wanna get on this? You wanna get some of that action? I'll just be a moderator. moderator that's that's right terrible. I'll be the moderator. That is typical Sean Vazan. I'll be the moderator. We're going to discuss this. All right, let's talk some. Uh, wait, do we have a bet? We, the bet's in? We're discussing this after the, after wait, the podcast. You, wait, hang on. You proposed the bet, and then you back it away from actually stealing the bet? We're going to discuss. I got to I gotta check some stats He's and stuff check some first. Stats Why you got to check stats? You proposed the bet. You're obviously confident in the bet. Because maybe I don't have faith in Tulane either, Juan. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Come on. I didn't want to say it. All right, but I had to say it. You forced my hand. I'm staying safe at seven. I think eight. Am I gonna put some tasty you wings? Want, you on want to put wings on it? I don't know. Juan doesn't make. Juan doesn't. I hardly get Juan to make bets with me anymore. Anyway, you just proposed. One. I'm trying to make it with you. Now you're backing away. All right, let's talk Southeastern. They come off a bye <laughs> week. They are facing Houston Baptist on the road. This could be a high-scoring game. The Lions were ranked. They were rolling, but they developed a really bad habit of being a first-half team. Yeah. It bit them against McNeese. It wasn't any better the following week. They got to bounce back this week. Frank Selfo, give him props. He's done a really nice job in his second season there as head coach. I remember when he was on his old brother's staff back at Tulane, Chris Selfo, and he was the offensive coordinator there. And I feel like 
um, he's evolved a bit as, as a head coach at Southeast. He's in a pretty good spot where they get really good athletes there they and guys that are transferring right in there mm-hmm. that can play at the Division One A level, but are for whatever reason they end up at Southeastern and they end up going pro there. So I think he's done a nice job. But th- you know, getting a kid to play. Every minute of the game is tough. It's a challenge, and he's having a problem there with the second half. You know, would you rather with be the, good in the second half or the first half? Well, he's, he's having a problem with the first half. They're, I know. They're great in the second half. Oh, okay. Well, I got it backwards. But, but still, would you rather be good in the first half or good in the second half? I'd rather be good in the second half. I'd rather be good in the second half. But I'd rather be better in the first yeah. half. Like, they, were, they would get down by 10, 7, 4 in the first half and be able to come back. You can't yeah. be down by they, – they had a 21-point deficit against McNeese. Can't do that. Not going to no. win that what way. What happened to Nichols this week? I saw they got shut out. They, 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 got, they got shut, shut out. Sam Houston. Sam Houston. Yeah, it was not I was not disappointed pretty. in seeing that. Yeah. So it was 17 nothing, something like that? If that's what it was. I feel like once we start getting on the bandwagon of Nichols, they hit a bump. Yeah. They just th- this year. They're it's almost like they read their like, own little It's like clippings. they're always right there. Yeah. And it's like they all. there's always a, a like a just an, un, an unnecessary bump in the road. Now, this – it just felt like I, I was I was following along on Twitter and get a chance to watch the game or the highlights, but I'm like, man, what's going on? Seventeen nothing. They got shut out. And this feels like the what should be the culmination of, well, it, I mean, it's Chase Fortcade's senior year, but you know, the build up into yeah. this has been playoffs and losing playoffs, get a win in advance, go play at Eastern Washington, a tough team, and then now it's, you know, they had the ranking, they went in there ranked ninth, and uh, just. You know, couldn't couldn't pull it off against Sam Houston, but the talent's there. They've got yep. a slew of running backs. They've got an experienced, quality, very 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 good quarterback in Chase 4K to, in terms of his decision making mm-hmm. and um, playmaking. <coughs> and then you've got uh, a guy like Dejon Dixon, who um, is a really talented receiver who can light it up. I think even at the next level. Um, keep his focus on football. One incident. <sighs> Hey, but you know what they also have, Chris? They have a head coach who is in similar position as, you know, a Will Hall, as a guy that I think will be attractive at the at the the next collegiate level as a head coach in Tim Rebo. The what he, the job he's done at, at Nichols. People don't respect how or don't oh they don't God. realize how bad the program it, was in shape. Dude, it is hard. It was hard to recruit there. They hadn't had a winner there. I can tell you when. Yeah. And the fact that he came in after his first year just has done nothing but win. Why, how he is still there, if he's still there after this year, I don't know how it is. They're taking a little bit of a step back this year compared to last year, but he's been fantastic. He's been exactly what that program needed. The guys from Louisiana who can get Louisiana kids to come there, and the players don't go to LSU, the second-tier player, they'll go to Nichols if they don't go to Tulane. And he's gotten players that were 1A material that left the state but wanted to come back. He opens the door, and they come right back to Nichols. I mean, I think Tim Rebo has been as good a coach in this state as anybody, and, and I will be shocked if he doesn't have an opportunity to go someplace else next year. Um, will it be a top 1A program? No, but I think he can find like a, a mid-major program in, 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 in NCAA uh, 1A to, to coach at, and I think he'd be fantastic. The question is, do you want to go to that mid-tier program? Maybe you win, maybe you don't. You have up-and-down years. You're not – you're, you're constantly being judged, or do you want to be Rebo, the Louisiana guy who is and who's winning in Louisiana? Look, I'm not. Yeah. He strikes me as Louisiana. Guy. I'm not I saying go to settle like and and just just to stay in Louisiana. He could be the like, mayor of Thibodeau. I mean, yeah, yeah. man. I mean, you, you do, talk you about like a good like, thing a, going I would, there. like a 
I'm just throwing a school out, like a University of Nevada. I, I just don't see him leaving Nichols for something of that right. caliber. You know no, what but I, I can see him staying in the Southeast if a program comes available. A job comes open in the southeast, and well, like a south, like a. I'm, I mean, I'm just. I, like I don't know, like like a South Alabama, like, like a group or, of five, or like like a Southern Miss, something yeah. like that. I you still know? think I even those yeah. jobs, though, go to coordinators before they go to FCS head coaches. In my opinion, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I feel like they've got such a good thing going at Nichols. I'm riding it out if I'm. Rico. Yeah, that's I'm what you're saying. But what guy. he doesn't have at Nichols, they would have someplace else better facilities. I mean, not to knock Nickel State, but I mean, it is what it is. They don't have a lot of money down there. They're playing in a stadium that has there. a turf field that was that was donated by the Mannings, and the stadium is is it's con- I mean, it's it's not the best facilities down there. And they're trying to improve the facilities there, but, but this is how you do it: you build it up and you win. Yeah. And, and they've can, done it with a lot of locals. A lot of locals. First market I worked in: Pittsburgh State, Pittsburgh, Kansas. Y'all ever been to Pittsburgh, Kansas? Never the been. answer is no. <laughs> Very small. 40 minutes northeast of Joplin, Missouri. Y'all ever been there either? Never been. No, but Pittsburgh State became the most winningest D2 college football program, and guess what they have? A nice indoor facility that's been built. Yeah. You can build it. If you, you build, build it, the program, <coughs> they will come. That's right. We're going to leave it right there with college football talk. When we come back, Garland Gillen, the G-Man, joins <coughs> us to talk prep football. At Keesler Federal Credit Union, if it's important to you, it's important to us. Here, you're more than a customer, you're a member. And we're more than a financial services provider. We're your financial partner with a genuine interest in your life. So whether you want the best rate on a credit card for the things you love, a home loan for the people you love, or savings and checking that work as hard as you do, we've got you covered. And that's a good thing. From Fox 8 Sports, you're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. We are back on the Fox 8 Overtime podcast with Garland Gillen fired up and ready to talk some prep football. We're going to kick it off with our game of the week. 7-0 Newman at 6-1 in the number 8 team in our Fox 8 Big 8 rankings, St. Charles Catholic, the Comets. Gee, could this be Newman's first L of the year? I will say this. Newman has played out of their minds this year on offense. Arch Manning, it could it could definitely be dissected that he's the best quarterback in our area for any classification, any grade. Ninth grader, he's throwing dimes all over the field. Jarmon Sutherland's running circles around a lot of these cornerbacks. St. Charles Catholic has one loss this year. It's against a Class 5A school in East Ascension, and Coach Frank Monica told me this week their starting quarterback was not even playing in that game. They've beaten Del Sal in overtime. This team is it, this team's one of the contenders for their state championship right now. This game is going to be fantastic. Um, if Newman's going to have a stumbling block in the regular season, this has got to be the game. This is for the district title. This is it. Yeah. The, the other teams in this district are South Plaque and Cohen. So it's it. This is it. There's only there's only four teams in this district. And so. I, I would say it could be a statement win for either team. One, because Ooh, yeah. if you're St. Charles Catholic and you win, that means you uh, you know, survived what Newman can do on offense. And if you're Newman, that means you beat, obviously, a state contender and, and a team that can hang with, look, a lot of different classifications. And another thing to watch for, and uh, you'll see it in my preview story later in the week, there's a lot of PowerPoints on the line here in this game. Uh Lafayette Christian and Notre Dame McCrowley are two big dogs in, in Division Three. Uh, if Newman and them can get on the other side of that bracket and avoid possibly one of those teams, that, that'd be big. 
to get to wherever they're playing the state championship game this year. I don't know. They're playing at the Dome. They're playing at Yulman Stadium, Strawberry Stadium, Cajun Field, in the back lot at Fox 8. They're going to have to figure out a location. They haven't figured it out soon. But uh, these these two teams will be there in November and possibly December. They got uh, the, this, the coaching in this game. Frank Monica and Nelson Stewart are two of the best coaches in the state. Another one we're keeping a close eye on on Friday night, uh, the number two team in our Fox 8 Big 8, undefeated John Curtis, taking on Holy Cross out at Yulman. Holy Cross and quarterback John Wooten uh, pushed Rummel a little bit yes. last week. And Holy Cross, obviously an offense to be respected and, and contended with. Um, could they keep pace with John Curtis? Curtis could light up the scoreboard too. Yeah, Rummel gave up their first touchdown of the season to the Holy Cross Tigers. Final score seventeen to seven. I wasn't. Uh, it, it, I was kind of shocked. I thought Rumble was gonna steamroll Holy Cross just like they did Brother Marty before in the game that you witnessed. So uh, Rumble, Rumble is is a good team, and Holy Cross stuck with them. So I expect them to do the same this week. They got a good coach in Guy Lacomp. They got some good offensive players in, in Wooten, obviously, and uh, Kirk with a wide receiver uh, on defense. Holy Cross. I mean, only gave up seventeen points. First two drives of the game. Rommel went down and got touchdowns. After that, all they got was a field goal in the second half. Uh, I, I got to believe this game will be closer than the experts think here. I think it's going to be a good game on uh, Friday. I think we are the experts. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We're the experts. I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm an expert. You're an expert. I don't know if I'm an expert. I just talked to a lot of people. Jim Derry, where you at, man? <laughs> Help. Uh, let's go to the North Shore. Franklinton at Lakeshore. Um, number five, Lakeshore on our Fox 8 Big 8, a team that's been climbing up those rankings. Titans, I'm pushing for you. I've been pushing for y'all to get even higher. I'm a big voice of the Titans in the sports office. You ain't the, <laughs> only, you ain't the only one. John Bennett, producer John Bennett's always mad when the schedule comes out. He's, we got to go to Lakeshore more. We got to go to Lakeshore more. So you know what? He talks just like that. Yeah, and, and I came on my off day on a Thursday. I drove all the way to Lakeshore to get De La Salle Lakeshore just he for did. John Bennett because John Bennett's been hating on uh, the coverage you've been getting Lakeshore. But then uh, our fine friends in Lafayette shot the Westgate-Lakeshore game. Christian Westcott got Fox 8 Player of the Week. So we're giving Lakeshore a lot of love. I don't want no phone calls from anybody over Lakeshore. Did you do a podcast this summer with the head coach, Chris? I did. Yeah, we get a lot of love for Lakeshore, okay? They're, they're and it's not going to matter because this audio is so loud. What? Oh, man. No, the audio is fine. No, it's fine. That's it's fine. That's producer John. He's, oh, John, he's calm concerned. down. Calm down. We're talking Lakeshore Titan football, dude. And I think you they kick, you kick back and drink a fresco. Okay, it'll be fine. I think I think uh, this is a team that is just gaining steam and will continue to take that steam into the postseason. Garland's <laughs> incapacitated right now. Are they walking gay like that fresco? <laughs> John Bennett's so young, you don't even know what fresco is. This okay? is the this is the part of the podcast. We just get off the rails. We All right, back on track. Back another game. We start game. looking like inside the NBA. All right, back on the game. Uh, let's take it to <laughs> the River Parishes. River Parishes. We got Thibodeau hosting Destrehan. Yeah. Yeah, Thibodeau. Six and one Thibodeau. D dude, Thibodeau's only got one loss this year, okay? They throw the ball all over the yard. Le Luke Alimaw. Uh, their only loss was by uh, eight points to Homville. Dude, Thibodeau is going to do some damage in the playoffs, man. I'm really impressed with this team. They got three rod receivers that can all ball out every week. They do five receiver sets. The coach told me they throw it uh, 40, 50 times a game sometimes. They're going to be around there. The only loss is to Homville. Destrehan, they got to get a dub, man. I mean, they've had a lot of losses this season already, and they still got some big games in front of them, man. They still got to play 
Hanville also, man. They could have four or five losses. Bit of a reloading year. Destrehan lost uh, a little bit of talent um, after last season. But, like you said, this is a team that's expected to they reload down there. Yeah, yeah. Destrehan will be fine. Okay, this is just a down year. I mean, last year you had one of the best running backs in America. You got to the state semifinals. America. And they lost to like, Keelan Brown in the state semifinals. That's nothing to be ashamed about at all. It, it's just a tough season for them. They're trying to figure out their quarterback situation because J.R. Blood also graduated last year. They still got one of the best receivers in America for junior year in uh, Sticks Brown. And they got Kyle Edwards, who uh, is one of the better running backs in the country this year. One of the more intriguing matchups, in my opinion, uh, Brother Martin, the Martin! Martin, the number four team in our Fox 8 Big 8 at Terrebonne. And look, we, we talk a lot about Rummel's defense and how good they are, but Brother Martin um, right up there uh, with the Raiders in terms of being able to play some lights-out defense. Uh, stumbled a little bit, obviously, against Rummel, but a lot of teams do. This is another test because Terrebonne is just full of athletes. You know what's the best thing about Archbishop Shaw? If you, you, you had a bad game and you need to f you feel good about yourself, you see Archbishop Shaw on the schedule, man, they just rolled them up. I, I, I know they're doing some good things over there at Shaw, but they still got a lot of work in front of them. I mean, Brother Martin just crushed them. That game was over with in the, halfway through the first quarter. I know Sean Fazan's shaking his head because he's <laughs> representing the West Bank through and through. Wonkin K from Gretna, too. So they got two West Bankers up in this uh, jurnt. But I will say this, Brother Martin, um, going out of Terrebonne, that's a tricky game. Ja'Kai Douglas, they got some ballers on offense. Um, this is a non-district game, but Brother Martin likes these kind of games for the PowerPoints because Brother Martin, Rummel, John Curtis, and Catholic High and Baton Rouge, those four teams are going to be fighting for it uh, when we get into November. Um, and Brother Martin still got to play. John Curtis in, uh, in Week 10. So they got some big games in front of them. Mark Bonice and those guys are going to get tested before the season's out. For clarification, Sean Fazan's in here yelling that he went to Brother Martin. Yeah, yeah, I know that. I Our, know that. No, we know. But, we but, but, Sean, but Sean still represents like Bell Chase and, and Shaw. He's got to put the people on. Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, you know, I understand. Our Saturday game, a Saturday night game, St. Aug and Rummel, uh, that should be a fun one. St. Aug is a team that really as talented as anybody can come out and light it up. It's just about making sure they're locked in. They've obviously dealt with some things this year, so they're going to have to play their absolute best if they even want to push Rummel. Yeah, Rummel's undefeated. Obviously has one of the best defenses in the state there. They gave up their first touchdown of the season last week, so they've given up 13 points in seven games. I will say this. The defense is there. Um, I pointed out earlier that Rummel scored 14 points early in the first quarter, but Kyle Wickersham, he, he still needs to develop. He's still he's sporadic. He, 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 he still hasn't put together a complete game. You know what? This week, he'll get another, uh, another test in St. Augs defense because next week, we're going to be sitting in these same two spots. We're going to be talking about the game of the year, possibly, in Rumble John Curtis. So he needs to figure this out quickly. He's got one of the best receivers. I know I keep saying in the country, in the country, but they, they got a lot of ballers down here, okay? And Coy Moore is one of the better receivers in the country. So he's got some guys that can play. He's got, he's got Jalen Sturgis, big bowling ball uh, running back. So uh, I think Rumble is going to uh, win, win this game on Saturday night and be 8-0 when they go against uh, Curtis next week. But they still need to figure some things on offense because that defense is just straight deadly. And I would say Rummel and John Curtis could be just part one of oh, what probably yeah. be a rematch in the state title And you game. know this, man. All right. Before you guys go, a quick reminder and request to subscribe to this podcast channel to automatically get all of our content. Also, please rate and review the podcast to help spread the word. 
And if you want to get in touch with us, use the Final Play app or Tiger Huddle app to submit a question. That'll do it for us. We will talk to you next time on Overtime. At Keesler Federal Credit Union, if it's important to you, it's important to us. Here, you're more than a customer, you're a member. And we're more than a financial services provider. We're your financial partner with a genuine interest in your life. So whether you want the best rate on a credit card for the things you love, a home loan for the people you love, or savings and checking that work as hard as you do, we've got you covered. And that's a good thing. From Fox 8 Sports, this has been Fox 8 Overtime.